Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. We're glad that you could join us today as we complete a mini-series on the book of Ruth. This morning we're addressing blessings flow out of Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you would, listen to this passage. Although it is true that I am the kinsman redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your kinsman redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. As we come to look at this amazing book that talks about Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, generosity, I pray that you'll give us insight and you'll give us understanding. And Father, we pray that you would let us hear and that our ears would take extreme caution to hear what you're saying and that we would apply that in our own lives in jesus name amen you know heroes are hard to find it's not because there are no longer heroes around it's because frankly i often probably fail to see them now when i was a child there were heroes everywhere from uh, sports figures baseball players comic book characters police officers and the list goes on and on. Some were real, some were imagined, but everywhere I looked, I saw a hero. As an adult, I'm not so quick to see the heroes around me anymore. It's become easy for me to look at a police officer and wonder if he's waiting to give me a ticket. <laughs> uh, comic books, they hold no appeal for me whatsoever. And my favorite baseball player, Cal Ripken Jr., retired. And all the cards I have of Cal Ripken Jr., well, they're in storage. Even as men and women, we most readily could see and should see the, the heroes before us. Take, for instance, the first responders. They are heroes, and yet so many times we just hear the sound of the siren, try to move to the side if we can, not even giving a thought of what they are about to encounter. They don't get the recognition they deserve, and so many others who are heroes in our world don't either. So I want to make sure that in this story, we don't miss the hero that God clearly shows before us. It's Boaz. The hero is Boaz. My guess is that Boaz perceived himself as not a hero. He was just an ordinary guy uh, living on an ordinary farm living an ordinary life. That was him. He got up in the morning. He knew what, uh, what he and his crew were going to do. It was just an ordinary life. Fortunately for us, the ordinary person is the person that God most often enjoys using as a hero in the stories of life. <coughs> Let's take a look at the hero in this passage because I don't want us to miss him. Let's talk for just a few moments about the duty of a kinsman redeemer. 
Throughout the Old Testament, we learn about this curious term, the kinsman redeemer. In the Hebrew, it is the word goel, goel. Now, in our Western culture, it's an odd term reserved for an ancient culture, one that does not even relate to what we think about. So I believe that it's important for us to take uh, a little bit of time to understand what a kinsman redeemer is. So let's look at, at the four basic qualities or characteristics or duties of a kinsman redeemer. First, he would reclaim a relative slow, uh, sold into slavery for financial reasons. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 47 through 49, Todd. If an alien or a temporary resident among you becomes rich, and one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells himself to the alien living among you, or to a member of the alien's clan, he retains the right of redemption after he has sold himself. One of his relatives may redeem him. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in his clan may redeem him. Or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. So, in essence, the scripture is saying, if you find yourself in such a desperate debt that it is required for you to sell yourself an indentured slavery, then your kinsman redeemer could come to your rescue. They could pay off your debts and deliver you back into a normal life where you would actually be working for yourself rather than for a master. So that's one duty of a kinsman redeemer. A second duty is that they could reclaim the property that a relative sold in order to escape the financial distress. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 25 says, If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property, his nearest relative is to come and redeem what his countrymen has sold. We also see this play out in Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 6 and 7, when God himself instructs Jeremiah to redeem a field for prophetic purposes. A third duty of a kinsman redeemer is that he might avenge the death of a relative. Now, I don't suggest, obviously, that you engage in this kind of activity, but it is called in the Old Testament for a kinsman redeemer to slay the murderer. We see this in 2 Samuel 14, 11, in Joshua 20 and verse 5, in Deuteronomy verse 9, uh, chapter 19 and verse 12. That avenger of blood in, that it's mentioned in Joshua 20 and verse 5 is the most difficult task. It's a task reserved for the most extreme circumstances. You do understand the justice system in the ancient days was not like it was today. But in this day and time, in the time of Ruth, that was a duty of the kinsman redeemer. Fourth, and probably the most important for the life of Ruth, a kinsman redeemer could restore the status of a family. If a man died, then the nearest male of the deceased man's family could legally marry the widow. Now, by this act, he gained the rights of the deceased man's property. Now, the intention here was not for the kinsman redeemer to be the sole property of the, uh, of, from, the, from the marriage. Rather, his role was to provide the continuation of the family's name and heritage. To be blunt, the kinsman redeemer would marry the widow for the purpose of fathering children of the deceased man. These children then would go on to inherit the land and the possessions for, uh, from the deceased. By doing so, the family name would continue well beyond the man's death. 
In Israel, and in the ancient days, the carrying forward of a man's name was absolutely critical. Now, none of us in this day are called upon to fulfill the role of the kinsman redeemer. However, the role of the goel is one that's built upon the principle of generosity. It was costly, it required sacrifice, and for this reason, we should have much in common with the kinsman redeemer from Israel's past. Believers today and the church today should look for the opportunities for the gener- to, to give generously of themselves and their possessions to others who will find themselves in need, in difficult circumstances, either of their own making or not of their own making. Most likely, we're not going to be called upon to redeem the land or the possessions or the family name of a relative. However, we often are given the opportunity to salvage the financial prospects of another family or to help in a time of crisis or loss. We can come to the aid of those who find themselves in adverse circumstances, distressful circumstances. Christians should be more interested than anyone else in the redemption of people. The prospect of moving someone from ruin to plenty should be an exciting venture for each and every one of us. It should be a common occurrence within the church of the living God. For you and me to become the modern-day Goel to a friend, it would have to bring about some desire within us to give beyond what's expected and what's normal. We're going to have to understand that we're going to have to go well beyond that to do all that needs to be done. And that, I believe, is where the great chasm exists in our stewardship and generosity today. The desire to give so that others are restored is greatly lacking among believers across this nation and around this world. We're not making the kind of impact in the lives of people because we're holding much close to us. We as Christians must decide that generous aid is always worth both the time and the effort. It's always worth the sacrifice to bring somebody out of the most difficult circumstances and then give them true life, a normal life, with dignity so that they can give their lives to Christ or that they can fulfill what Christ wants to do in their lives. Once again, the example of the church at Thessalonica stands out as our example In the teaching to the Corinthian church about their generosity, Paul said that the Thessalonian believers gave abundantly while experiencing trials, and generously it flowed out of their own poverty. They didn't have it to give, but they gave. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8.3, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now perhaps... The latter believers, the church at Thessalonica, had learned this lesson from those first believers in the church at Jerusalem. Because in the early days of the church, in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, the scripture says that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it to the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I think the question that we must be willing to answer today is pointed, and yet it's very simple. How willing are you to make great sacrifices for the sake of others? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to take on the responsibility to live generous lives? 
if we choose to be a goel, a type of kinsman redeemer in the day in which we live, I think we look even more closely at this passage. The story of Ruth's life, I think, is a beautiful example as to why the role of the kinsman redeemer was instituted by God in his law. You see, she was a needy immigrant woman. She was a widow of an Israelite. She was caring for her Jewish mother-in-law. I can't imagine a woman living in Israel who was more worthy of help given by the kinsman redeemer. Through, uh, through the story of Ruth, the Goel, I think, is romanticized. We always talk about Ruth and Boaz as a beautiful love story, which indeed it is. But the role of a kinsman redeemer is often retold as a simple decision of a young man who marries a young woman and they all enjoy the benefits. But the real story of Ruth plays out very differently. The reason for a Goel is born out of intense need. When a happy wife becomes a sorrowful widow, it's intense. The scenario was always one of the woman is, who is, is destitute now and in, in desire uh, of trying to find some way to survive. And yet, there's no way for them to survive in that kind of environment. And so God brought about the kinsman redeemer to come, to come beside. It many times was the only hope of those who were destitute, particularly the ladies. In Ruth's story, our thoughts of the kinsman redeemer are of Boaz. It is his field where Ruth gleans the harvest. It is his feet where Ruth sleeps as a show of humility and requesting his help. But Boaz, he is not technically the goal for Ruth. Ironically, it is Boaz himself who tells Ruth this very thing in Ruth chapter 3 verses 12 through 14. Boaz tells her of a closer family member who can redeem her circumstance and her family. But Boaz engages, I believe, here in the amazing. While Ruth lies at his feet, he says, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, then good. Let him redeem. But if he's unwilling, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do here. Lie here until morning. Knowing that he has no true responsibility, speaking of Boaz, Boaz willingly chooses to offer one of the greatest kindnesses shown in the ancient world. He is willing to give of himself with such a measure and to receive so little in return. The fourth chapter of Ruth, we meet the true kinsman redeemer. Though we never are given his name, he plays a critical role in this story. Essentially, he teaches us what not to do, given the chance and the opportunity to extend generosity. As Boaz lays out the opportunity before this anonymous Goel, the man is ready to redeem the land. We see that in the first four verses of Ruth, chapter 4. But when Boaz tells the man that the redemption will include Ruth the Moabitess, the unnamed man backs out of the deal. His answer is fascinating in verse 6 of chapter 4. Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. 
You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Here, this closest relative turns down the chance to redeem because it could possibly affect his own lineage. It is the same temptation we face today. We wonder, what will generosity do to my own personal finances? What will generosity do to those who are set to inherit my estate? What will it do to my bank account? You know, Jesus had an interaction with a woman who did not allow any temptation to stand in her way, as she was very generous. Though anonymous, like the close relative to Ruth, she stands as the polar opposite. The scene we find is in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, to the truth that he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Whereas the man in Ruth's story is obviously of great financial means. The woman giving her offering in this passage was poor. She was poor. Ruth's closest relative is unwilling to, to give beyond what, we, what will personally benefit him. If it doesn't benefit him, he doesn't want anything to do with it. But here we find the anonymous woman in Jesus' day gives regardless of what's going to happen to her financially because she gave it all. That is generosity and faith and trust. Making the transition from where we are to a deeper level of generosity requires that we take less interest in ourselves. The potential kinsman redeemer the anonymous one, the closest relative, was motivated by himself, and he gave up his claim to Boaz. If it didn't benefit him, he wanted no part of it. The poor donating widow obviously had a different motivation, and we find that in Scripture. The Thessalonians had kingdom motivations when they gave beyond what they were able the early church in the book of Acts, they were motivated by their love for one another. That's why they would sell whatever they needed to to meet the needs of those within their family, their church family. And then there's Boaz. Boaz was motivated by the need of another. You know, generosity occurs because of choice. So does selfishness. We choose to be generous. We choose to be selfish. We choose to be selfish with our lives, our resources, and our finances. Or we choose to be generous with our lives, our resources, and our finances. Generosity comes from the heart first. And then it changes our minds as we look upon others. And it finds its consummation in the hands that give it out. That are willing to give when it doesn't benefit us. There's an interesting twist in this story because we move from Boaz to Jesus. There's no way that we could leave 
the teaching of the kinsman redeemer without speaking about how Boaz is related to Jesus. First, there's the physical connection. Because Boaz chose to step in and serve as the goal, Ruth and her deceased husband gained a, general, a genealogy to record. In fact, the last, <coughs> the last verses of the book state this. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadad. Abinadad, the father of Nashun. Nashun, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And if you remember your scripture, from David came the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just think, the generosity shown by Boaz did more than just redeem one family. It was the course of action God used to provide redemption for all of us who would choose to call upon his name. Boaz continued the family lineage that led to the house of David, that led to the birth of the Messiah. Generosity by Boaz is used an ex as an extension of God's generosity in salvation for everyone who would call upon his name. So the role of the kinsman redeemer itself is like a foreshadowing of the true redeemer, Jesus Christ. Boaz in particular is a foreshadowing of Jesus. There's just simply no way to highlight generosity without mentioning the great generosity of God that comes through Jesus Christ. Our Messiah serves as the greatest of all givers. And we are the neediest of all needy. Our sin debt is greater than any financial issue that Ruth or Naomi could have ever known. And Christ is more generous in his death than Boaz could have ever been in his life. In fact, the generosity of the Son of God is displayed in the many titles that he rightfully owns and enjoys. As you look at the scripture, we find that he is the precious cornerstone, the bright and morning star, the image of God, the Lord of glory, the crown of glory, the Lamb of God, the firstborn of all creation, the gift of God. Jesus is God himself come to earth. His incarnation, his death, his resurrection are the greatest show of generosity. Something we did not deserve. Something that would not benefit him. It benefited us greatly. Through the gospel, we are the recipients of redemption. As we consider the grand idea of generosity, I think the gospel must be considered at its core, the gospel is for the glory of God. It is for the redeeming of individuals and for all of creation. It is about the coming of a kingdom into a place that rejected the king. And that's what Jesus did for us. The greatest expression of generosity is seen in the gospel's offer of peace to those who chose to be enemies. We can be generous in our giving. We can be generous in our time. But without the generosity of God's grace, we are still lost in our sins. And we must take a reflection, each one of us who are believers in Christ, and understand the debt that was paid and the generosity that was given. 
And then we must look within ourselves and say, this is not about us. It's not about me. Rather, it is about him. And so I would encourage you this morning to examine your heart to ensure, first and foremost, that you have accepted God's generous gift of forgiveness and have a relationship with the first, the greatest, and the last kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ himself. And after you've done that, then I would ask you to begin looking for ways, opportunities that you might move into the lives of those who are hurting and those who are in need. And embrace that idea of a goel. Find those who are close to you. Find those who are desperate for aid. And then, like Christ, give all that's necessary to change their life. Look to the needs of people. Become the person who Christ can use to extend the hands and to meet the needs physically, financially, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually, with the gospel of Christ. This morning, as we pray, Please make those decisions. Father, we ask you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that everyone who is listening, that they would reflect upon their heart. And if they do not know Christ, that this morning they would choose to embrace Christ. And this morning, as believers in Christ, I pray that we would look at this amazing example of Boaz He looked outside of himself to one who was in need, desperate need, and how it reflects Jesus, who saw us in a desperate need and was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come. And I pray that we look out, and when we see the need, we will go outside of ourselves and be most generous with whatever you have given us to meet the needs that we see through the power of your spirit. This morning, help us to commit to that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.